0: So Romans eight fourteen to 17. Paul um, begins that chapter. And we need to keep this in mind as we're unpacking Romans chapter 8. The statement that he makes in verse 1. Because he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So now we're not under God's condemnation. In the past, we were under God's condemnation. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I wonder if you've ever asked yourself the question, well, does this really apply to me? Do I have this growing assurance in my heart that I am in Christ Jesus and that therefore I am not condemned? And sometimes we do grapple with this. We, we, we struggle with doubts. Am I actually in Christ Jesus? When I stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, which Paul has been talking about earlier on in Romans, will I be declared not guilty or will I be condemned? So Paul says here, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Many years ago, I went to a funeral of a man that I, I, I knew, he was an acquaintance of mine, I knew his son a little bit better. They come from a Muslim family. And so we went to to the place where the Muslims had their funeral services and where they bury their dead. And the, the funeral service was quite strange because it was all around the grave and it was only men that were present. And at one stage during the proceedings, the Imam asked the question, was Ali a good man? And people had to bear testimony. The men there had to bear testimony that he was a good man. And so afterwards, I asked um, Ali's son, "What, what was the story with that? And he told me, explained to me, that there's a certain minimum number of people who need to bear testimony at your graveside that you were a good man in order for you to be acceptable to God. Imagine that. Imagine if your condemnation hinged upon the testimony of the people around you and whether they thought you were a good person or not, let alone whether God thought that you were a good person or not. And the whole point of Romans, the whole point of the gospel message, is to say, you aren't good enough. You'll never be good enough. There needs to be some sort of other assurance that is not based on your performance that would make you acceptable to God. And so, last week, Trevor was talking all about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I've been thinking a lot about it this last week. And it's, it's a truth that just beggars the imagination, doesn't it? The fact that the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything would choose to take up residence in you and I through His Spirit... Isn't it wonderful that we become a temple of the Holy Spirit? A temple is a place where a God resides and where a God is worshipped. We have the creator of the universe living inside of us. And Paul uses this truth to start explaining the fact that we don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be worried that we are under God's condemnation. And so how do we know that we're not under God's condemnation and that we're in Christ Jesus? And the the argument that Paul followed last week is he says that authentic Christians, those who are truly Christians, have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. They are in the Spirit, he used that term a lot, because the Spirit is inside of them. And then he talked about two major consequences that result because the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And the first consequence is that we will have life. The reason for that is, that's the argument that he gives us, is that since it was the Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, then because the Spirit dwells in us, he will also give life to our mortal bodies. That's the reason why we can be confident that we will not be condemned for eternity. Why? We will have life because the Holy Spirit is in us and the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will raise us from the dead as well. And then he talked about another consequence of us having the Holy Spirit inside of us. And this is a sense of obligation. A sense that things are not right when we're living according to the flesh. Remember the flesh stirs up those passions in us to do things that are contrary to God's word, to do things that God doesn't want us to do. And so we, we just get this sense that since Jesus Christ paid this price for our redemption, that we owe him a debt that we will never pay back. And God isn't expecting us to pay that debt back. But it does give us the sense That we owe something to God because we now belong to him. Since we belong to God, let's live the way God wants us to live. Let's live in the spirit. Let's live according to the spirit. So how do we know that we're not under God's condemnation, that we're in Christ Jesus? Well, first of all, there's this objective evidence that since the spirit is in you, you will live. The spirit raised Christ from the dead. He is in you. Therefore, he will give life to your mortal body. And then also, the other bit of evidence or the other testimony is the fact that we feel miserable whenever we follow the flesh. And that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is inside of us. It's subjective evidence. It's an experience that we have. Just this last week, I was helping my mum to do some stuff. And I gave into the flesh. I ended up being irritable with her and a little bit unkind. Oh, and I really struggled the night. You know, that night I really struggled to sleep because I was just like, how could I have said that unkind thing to my mother? How could I have said that unguarded word? And folks, that is actually the Holy Spirit bearing testimony to me that I'm an authentic child of God because I was uncomfortable with the fact that I'd done that. If I was spending my time justifying it and saying, oh, she deserved it, (laughs) well, then that would have been an indication that maybe I wasn't in the, the right place. And so that that indwelling of the holy spirit starts to answer the question how do we know that we're not under god's condemnation and that we are in christ jesus but there is just so much more as we move on now in romans chapter 8 and so what we're going to do is we're going to turn to the witness or the testimony of the holy spirit himself wouldn't that be a good place to go to find out that we're not under god's condemnation That's what we're going to be finding about. So you'll see there on the next slide that the testimony of the Spirit is evidence of the fact that that we are in Christ. And this is what the evidence looks like. We start to see a radical holiness in us. We start to see a fearless freedom. We start to experience what it means to be children of God. And we begin to hope that one day we will be like Christ. So those are the four bits of evidence that we're going to be having a look at today. Let's have a look at the first one, radical holiness. When you look at that passage there, verse 14 is explaining verse 13. So he says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's not what we want to do. In contrast, we want to live by the Spirit, by putting to death the deeds of the body. And then there's this parallel, isn't there, in verse 14, where it says, all who are led by the Spirit. In other words, what we learn is that if we want to put to death the deeds of the flesh, then we need to be led by the Spirit. The other thing that we learn is that those who live are sons and daughters of God. So let's take the first thing, the fact that if we want to put to death the deeds of the flesh, we need to do it by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Often when we face different challenges in life, and in particular the challenges that come from our own flesh, we just feel daunted. We don't actually know how to cope with our addictions or the things that keep tripping us up we're not sure what strategy to use. And we also feel utterly powerless. And it could be anything. It could be anger. It could be forgiveness. It could be an addiction to some sort of a substance that you're using to, to make life work for you, to cheer you up. It could be um, wrong relationships in a, in a sexual regard. Often we begin to feel utterly trapped by these things. And what Paul is telling us here is that if we are led by the Spirit, then we will be able to to have victory over those things. Then we will be able to, by the Spirit, to kill those things. It's a bit like um, a climbing guide. I often think about those those, um, Sherpas who take people up really difficult cliffs and mountains. And we often, you know, we often feel like the, the struggle that's going on inside of us is like a mountain that we just don't feel that we're up to climbing and scaling. But the Holy Spirit comes with us, and he's like that climbing guide, and he says, Ian, just take a left here. There's a, there's gonna be, there's a way that you can get up over there. And when you go up to that part over there, I'm going to give you a leg up. Isn't that what Trevor was saying to us last week? He he was quoting from, from Philippians where it says that God works in us, because the Holy Spirit is in us, he's actually closer than our skin, isn't that amazing? God works in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So there's this matter of acting, having the power and the strength to act in a certain way. But of course, actions are driven by the will, aren't they? They're driven by our motivation. And so God is at work inside of us even to change our will and our motivation so that we actually have a desire to do what is right. This is wonderful. I love the words of Cranfield here. He's a, a scholar. He says, The daily hourly putting to death of the schemes and enterprises of the sinful flesh by means of the Spirit Is a matter of being and then he uses this whole string of verbs here because he's trying to get it across led, directed impelled that's sort of like pushed empowered given a leg up controlled by the Spirit and the question is are, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to do that are you including him in your plans to overcome those things that you're struggling with in your life or are you relying on other plans and strategies This needs to be our daily experience. We need to ask the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Ian, you're about to go and spend some time with your (laughs) mum. Father God, please help me to be patient. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead me. Holy Spirit, please show me how to do this in a way that is honoring and glorifying to you. Invite the Holy Spirit in. And folks if you're doing that on a daily basis if you're feeling overwhelmed by the flesh and the fact that you constantly keep falling into it this is a testimony this is a that this is showing you that you have the holy spirit inside of you because if the holy spirit wasn't there then you wouldn't have a problem with those things and so people who are genuine believers are constantly turning to the holy spirit to help them to will and to act according to what God wants them to do. So, the evidence of the indwelling Spirit is a Spirit-empowered and guided hunger for and progress towards radical holiness. That's the Spirit's testimony to us, that we are children of God and that we will live. Let's move on now to fearless freedom. Fearless freedom in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul is contrasting two things here. He's telling us what it is like and what it isn't like to be children of God. And before we were adopted into God's family, we were slaves. Remember, that's what Paul was teaching us in Romans 6. We were mastered by sin. Sin was our boss. We had an obligation to sin and not to God. But then there was that transfer of ownership that took place. And so when we were slaves of sin we weren't able to obey God. We weren't following His promptings, but we've been changed now. And of course, when we were slaves to sin, we were living in fear because there was no ways that we were gonna please God. And we knew that even if something radical was to change, we would still make mistakes. And so we lived under this fear. Just think of Ali and his family. Was he a good enough man to be acceptable to God and not be condemned by God? But instead, as children of God, we begin to get this settled sense that now, instead of being slaves of sin, we're actually children of God. We're growing into the reality that sin is no longer our master. We can actually be free from sin. And folks, it's that growing awareness of our freedom, that lack of fear that we start to have, that bears testimony. It's actually the Holy Spirit bearing testimony to us that we are God's children, that we're genuine believers. And so a child of God isn't enslaved by sin and as a result by controlled, controlled by fear. Instead, we're adopted children. Let's move on now. Verse 15. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we've had a look at the first part of that. Now we're going to have a look at the second part. The spirit is described as the spirit of adoption. When the Holy Spirit enters you, he actually ratifies your adoption. He makes it legally valid. He is proof of your adoption. Isn't it say that um, the Holy Spirit in us is, this, is the seal, it's the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance? That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. But I'd just like to clarify two things here. The first one is that we generally tend to believe that every human being is a child of god is that true or isn't it what does the bible say well the bible says yes that every person is a child of god but there is also a sense in which not everybody is a child of god and so when you think of fatherhood the one sense of that of fatherhood that definition is that a father is the source or the co-creator of a person. So my father and my mother co-created me. So that makes my dad, my dad. And in that sense, every human being has God as their father, because he created them. But we all know that there's another aspect to that definition of fatherhood. I'm sure you would have seen in movies, or maybe even had this conversation yourself, because some fathers are not good fathers. And so you hear this conversation of, you were never a father to me. And then the son says, or the daughter says, um, you know, sorry, the son or the daughter says, you were never a father to me. And the father says, no, but, but I am. You're my own flesh and blood. And then the child says, no, but you were never there for me when I needed you. Where were you when I was growing up as a teenager? Where were you when this happened? Where were you when that happened? And so even as human beings, we recognize that a relationship with a father involves so much more than the fact that he simply provides for us and that he created us or originated us. There needs to be this close relationship with a father an interaction. Um, the kind of father who, when we fall, is there to pick us up and to give us a hug. That's what we're looking for. And so the Bible tells us that the only way that we can experience that aspect of our relationship with God, and in that sense to be sons and daughters of God, is through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It also says in, in um, the Gospel of John that to those who believed in Christ, God... Well, let me read it to you. Um, I've just been reminded of it as, as we were as we going through here so i don't have it to to hand if you look in in matthew uh john uh, john chapter one it says john chapter one verse 11 jesus talking about jesus he came to his own And his own people did not receive him. Listen to this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we only become children of God when God gives us the right to become children of God. When we put our faith and our trust and our belief in him, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in us and we become sons and daughters of God. Now, when we see this talk about adoption here, we often don't have the same understanding of, of, of adoption that the Greeks and the Romans had. So sometimes in our culture, adoption can be a little bit minimized. But in Greek and Roman culture, if I had children that I didn't think were suitable to, in, to get my inheritance, to carry my family name, then I would look for somebody to adopt. Isn't that amazing? If if I didn't have children to pass on the family name and to pass on my inheritance, then I would look for somebody to adopt. That's what Abraham was looking for. He He was looking for somebody to adopt before he had Isaac to pass on his inheritance to. So to be adopted into God's family, think of this. God has actually thought... Who do I want to carry my name? Who do I want to share my inheritance so that I can, that I can share it out with them and with, son, with my son, Jesus Christ? And so he, he looks out and he says, Yes, Haley. I want Haley to be adopted into my family. I want her to carry my name. I want Jono, Jonathan to carry my name. Isn't that an incredible thing? Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful privilege? It just really does beggar the imagination. So, the indwelling Holy Spirit is evidence of your adoption as God's child. But He's more than that. And this is something that I really want you to get a grasp of today. It's more than simply carrying His name. It's experiencing an intimate relationship with God. That kind of relationship that we were talking about earlier that really makes a father-child relationship special. He wants you to experience him as his dad. And so Thomas Goodwin, who is a Christian author, an old um, Puritan theologian, he, he was walking behind a father and a little boy. And he couldn't really hear the conversation that was going on between them. But suddenly the dad picked up his little son and gave him a huge hug and he said i love you my boy and the father and the son turned to his dad and i said i love you too dad and then the dad put him down and so he he asked this question was the boy more of a son when he was in his father's arms than before or after no he wasn't relationally still the same legally yes but when he was in the Father's arms, he was experiencing the father, his sonship. He was experiencing the Father's love. And what this is talking about here is that the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we can experience, really experience, the Father's love on a day-to-day basis. We need to be reaching out for that. Do you have a prayer life that includes this? Do you have a relationship with God that includes this? Because if it doesn't, then you're missing out on something. And the Holy Spirit's job is to help you to experience it. Imagine in a relationship, for example, my relationship with Gail. If it was always a purely functional thing, that I made sure the cars were full of petrol and did X, Y, and Z and made sure they were serviced at the right time, and Gail... Um, delivered up the food on time, all nicely cooked. Imagine if it was only about that. Imagine if our relationship with God was only about Him providing for us. No, it's so much more than that. We actually need to experience God as our dad. In our relationship, we give each other a hug, obviously. We, we connect emotionally. And that's what God wants you to do with Him as well. He wants you to be able to connect emotionally with him it says in Romans 5 that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God not only so but we rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces perseverance perseverance character character hope and hope does not disappoint us so the context of what he's talking about here is hope in suffering why does hope not disappoint us It's because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. It's the Holy Spirit that pours out that experience of the love of God into our hearts. And we often need it the most when we're suffering. And If a little child has just fallen over and grazed his knee, if, if that had happened to Matthew, I wouldn't stand there at a distance and say, don't worry, Matt, it's all going to be okay. In a few moments, you won't even feel this pain. There might be a little, of course not. I'm going to go across, pick him up. Well, not at the moment, but I used to. <laughs> and give him a hug. That's, that's, what, that's the kind of experience that we need to be having with God. And it's made possible by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We need to experience this in our, in our prayer life. And so that's why Paul writes, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So it's the Spirit that ratifies our adoption, but it's the Spirit that also bears testimony to the fact that we are God's children by enabling us to experience that intimacy with God as our Father, to experience His fatherly love. So let's just summarize everything that we said so far. The witness of the Spirit is that you're not under God's condemnation and that you're a genuine believer is evidence of radical holiness, that discomfort when the flesh is starting to get the ascendancy, fearless freedom, We're no longer slaves of sin. We're children of God. We just have the sense, even though things are not going quite as they should, that we're still children of God, that he loves us. And then this childhood experience, this experiencing of God as a father. And then the last thing is the hope of glory. Look at verse 17. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Doesn't it blow you away to think that you're a co-heir with Christ? <laughs> it really blows me away. What, what good reason would God have for wanting me to share an inheritance with Christ? There's nothing in me, is there? There's nothing in you that would make him choose you as a co-heir with Christ. could only be on the basis of what Christ has done And then he says, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I just want to say that the topic of suffering has been reintroduced here, and we're going to be going into that in more detail next week, because next week is all about the encouragement that the Holy Spirit brings when we're suffering. So, we're not going to look at that at the moment, but we are going to look at this concept of the hope of glory. What do we inherit? He's talking here about an inheritance. And we can see here that our inheritance is that we will be glorified with him. Sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? What's that all about? When we think of the glory of God, folks, God's glory is his perfection, the perfection of his character. God is glorious because he's infinitely powerful. He's glorious because he's infinitely kind. He's infinitely patient. He knows everything. God is glorious, okay? But then when we look at ourselves, we fall short of the glory of God, don't we? Isn't that what Paul said earlier on in chapter 3? He said we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because we were created as images of God. We were created to perfectly reflect the way that God is like. So if God is patient, we were created to be patient and not to show impatience. If God is loving and kind, we were created. But we're not like that, are we? We fall short of the glory of God. But the wonderful news is that one day, we will be like Christ. God is gonna take away this body in which there is the tendency to sin, in which sinful passions are stirred up and we're going to be given a resurrection body and none of that will be there. We have the hope of glory. For the rest of eternity, we will be perfectly patient. We'll be perfectly kind. We'll be perfectly loving. Do you remember what Trevor reminded us of last week? When he was unpacking verse 11, he says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. So one day, when we die or when Christ returns, whichever comes 1st we'll be raised to new life by the spirit and given a new resurrection body without the flesh. John tells us, Look at this lovely verse. He tells us that we will be like Christ, a perfect reflection of him. 1 John 3 verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, even though there's still the flesh in us. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, Christ, appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Folks, it's no wonder that we have no fear of condemnation. Why would God condemn you if the Spirit has raised you from the dead and given you a glorious body just like Christ's? There would be no reason to condemn you, would there? You would be like Christ. And that's what John is saying. He says we will see him. At the moment we can't see him because the flesh is still in us. But one day when we're given our resurrection bodies, we will see him. Why? Because we will be Like him. Oh, I I don't know about you, but I just can't wait. And this is the inheritance that we hope to receive as children of God. This is the inheritance that the Spirit is bearing testimony to you. He's saying to you, even as we're talking now, I'm sure there'll be a quickening in your own spirit. Wow, I can't wait for that. I'm looking forward to that. I believe that this is going to happen. That's the Holy Spirit's work, bearing testimony to you that you're a child of God of God. And so there's so much here to give us hope and to reassure us that we are God's children. When we start to see that desire for radical holiness in our lives, that discomfort with the flesh, that discomfort with sin, then it's the Holy Spirit bearing testimony to us that we are children of God. When we start to to sense that fearless freedom yeah, I messed up, and I'm really sorry that I messed up. I'm genuinely repentant. But deep down I know that this is not going to separate me from God on on the day of judgment. This is is not going to cause me to be condemned. It's because we're starting to experience that fearless freedom. And I would encourage you to walk in that fearless freedom. Take risks for God. Take risks for God. You know, it doesn't matter if we make a mistake. It doesn't matter when a small child is walking towards his father if he trips up because the main goal is to learn how to walk and so we can have this fearless freedom. We can also experience what it means to be children of God and that's such an important thing folks. I can remember years ago coming to the end of a service and I'd been preaching about the love of God and I, and I just said to God, God I've been talking in front of the congregation about the love of God. But I know that Gail loves me because she puts her arms around and she, and she hugs me. I know that Matthew loves me because we have a... a but it's so hard with you because you're... I can't, I can't touch you. And I was just like, God, please, just... I'm, I want to have that experience when I can just say... Uh, when I just know that he said, Ian, I love you. And I can say... I love you too. And he gives us that experience. I don't quite know how he's going to do it for you. He does it with me as long as I seek it often. And it's a wonderful experience. Don't shortchange yourself. Press in. Experience. Why why would we look for a certain kind of relationship with a human father and think that we couldn't have that with our earthly father? Go for it. And then lastly, we just have this hope. We have this trust, we have this belief that one day we're going to be like Jesus, perfect in every way. Shall we pray?